0: All right, in the studio
1: we got Ryan Moran today. Take two. I just messed this up. Sorry about that,
0: Ryan. So we'll do this again. You wasted like four minutes of my time. Four minutes.
1: I like know. Four damn. Four minutes. So we'll make we'll make it back up. So Ryan, Daniel <laughs> Moran, the man with three names. We had a good bit about that before too. Um, he has two hundred and eighty-ish thousand Facebook followers on his personal page, about a nah. hundred thousand ish YouTube followers, Big deal. twenty-five thousand-ish Instagram followers. Nah. Um, let me ask you, where does most of the action happen? Uh, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, which one's better, which one
0: sucks? <laughs> uh, you know, it's interesting because the, it depends on how you're measuring that action because all of my focus right now is YouTube. YouTube is our long-term play. At the beginning of this year, I decided to commit 1,000 days to mastering YouTube. So that's our primary content channel for the next about three years. So that's the platform that's growing the fastest. It's the platform that's getting the most engagement right now, but it's not the best for sales. It's the best for leads, Mm. but it's not the best for sales. The best for sales, like direct listener rate to conversion rate, podcast. Like no no joke, like no question. Podcast to conversion is definitely the, I actually have a a team member who was saying, you know, we don't have like a, we don't have like a free Facebook community, right? But he's like, our community lives on podcast. It's like that's where the community is. That's where when people talk to, he's our community manager. He's like, when people talk to me directly, and I ask them how do you get to one of our paid programs, they're all like, oh, I've been listening to podcast forever.
1: Well, so I mean, but the problem with a podcast is you got to record those all the time, and then how? Hmm. I don't know what the problem with the podcast is.
0: I don't know. I have I no. Pro- well, here's the thing. I, I I would podcast if I didn't get paid for it and no one was listening. Hmm. Like, I, I, audio is my mechanism. That's how I communicate.
1: I mean, you look like a guy that should be on audio. Yeah, on we call yeah. him
0: Radio Face Ryan. <laughs> I actually had a, a I actually had a show in college at the radio station. I went by Radio Face Ryan. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So like radio. Audio that that's my modality, so it's that's not work for me. Of course, like the standard answer is the best content is the one that you will do consistently, the one the one that you actually enjoy. Mm-hmm. Though I have a I, Gary V has been I've, I've hung out with him maybe maybe four or five times, but the, and, and I love the man. But the one area that I disagree with him is that you can't do too much content and that you should be everywhere. Mm-hmm. I think you can do too much content and that you shouldn't be any, everywhere. You should be in the places that you actually enjoy creating content sustainably. So for me, YouTube is best for leads, podcast is best for conversion rate, and social media is best for like reach, like re- total reach. But in terms of leads and depth and conversion, I think that's the worst platform. And if I had to delete one, if we're playing Fuck, Marry, Kill, Mm -hmm. I I kill social media.
1: Wow. Uh, I've noticed just a big change in the world lately in terms of social media. So I never used to like Twitter all that much. Um, I was on Facebook quite a bit. And then Instagram, I never really used all that much except to like look at pictures of dogs and food and stuff like that. And so uh, Instagram is still about the same. I don't use Facebook that much anymore. And then YouTube, I watch probably six hours out of the day. I'm either listening or watching YouTube. <laughs> and so, uh, a lot, and I also noticed one interesting thing. I don't read that many articles anymore online.
0: And it's kind of funny because they've lost their credibility. W-
1: well, a lot of the people, you could just watch a video on it and it's far better than actually reading it, right? Were just you these- ever a reader? I was a huge reader. I'm still like a, a decently large reader, but honestly, I just don't read that many articles, but I could probably
0: list out five different YouTube videos I've watched today that are awesome. I can't list a single article. I that's really, that. that's really interesting Neville because you're you're a writer, mm-hmm. but you don't like to consume the written word. That's, well, that's interesting.
1: If you think about how much, if you scroll social media for 10 minutes, think about how many words you've read though. Mm-hmm. So if I read Twitter for 10 minutes, how many words have I read? It's quite a bit. it's, and it's a few pre- articles. Yeah, and it's a lot more dense than like a crappy book. So huh,
0: that's re- that, that's just really interesting.
1: Yeah, so so you are going to mainly YouTube. That's really interesting. How are you approaching that? Do you have
0: like a team? Are you making them yourself in your basement or what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I make them in my my non-existent basement in Austin, Texas where I have limestone and no basement. <laughs> so, so I've, uh, uh, Full-time creative director. His name's Alex, mm-hmm. and Alex's job is to make stuff look really good. So when he came on board, we were making a ton of video content with no real strategy to how it looked, and the content people who watched it said it was amazing. They said it was it was fantastic, but the the style of it didn't match what would grip you. It had no story arc. It didn't look super high quality. It just looked like really good content. Mm -hmm. It was best for a podcast, right? If you took the Mm -hmm. video portion away from it, the content was amazing to listen to, but visually the quality just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. So Alex's job is basically to come on and to record me doing my natural thing, which is talking, and then put a story arc to it to make it look amazing. Mm. So now that piece of content is good for video. It's good for YouTube. So podcasting is fun, it's easy, it's effortless for me. So now my next three years is mastering the the video side of content creation. It, it kind of seems like a natural
1: way to go from articles to video, and the reason is Whenever we first started like making the written word, we didn't have video. We didn't have phone back in the year 1600, right? So you had to have some sort of crude tool to convey information and that was writing. Now we have the ability to take video and send it to someone else, which is how we naturally absorb information in our everyday lives. I'm looking at you, I'm hearing you, that's how we learn.
0: But aren't you so pissed when somebody sends you a video message? Oh, yeah, it's the worst. I'm
1: like, this could have been a text message. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I I think the cool thing is now we have all these different modalities to learn. So we have the podcast. We have video. We'll soon, we have articles. We have text. We have images. We have GIFs. And soon we'll have like VR experiences. Soon it'll be implanted in your brain. So I I think we're just naturally moving towards video as the primary form of content. And the coolest thing about video is I can take this video and rip the audio. That's a podcast.
0: So what what I'm thinking about in my brain is like, is is the video more natural or is the audio more natural? Like talking on the phone, I guess you're saying like face-to-face is the most natural where you pick up the most nuance. Is that the argument there? I think the thing is that this can be turned into an audio conversation. An
1: Audio conversation is much more difficult to turn into a sure. video conversation.
0: Sure. So
1: why not just do video first and then take the audio?
0: But, well, sometimes, I mean, if you put a microphone in front of me, it's, I, it's, I, I know I feel like I can talk all day. Video, Video, I'm think I'm better than most, but most people will tell you that put a camera in front of you and there's like an immediate, like, wait, what's my name? What do I say in front of you? What do I do with my hands? Mm-hmm. I feel awkward. And so I don't think it's as natural from a creation standpoint, but what we're doing right now is probably the most natural modality of them all. It's like having a face-to-face conversation and there just happens to be equipment here. That's
1: So let me ask you this, because this is one thing I've noticed, uh, taking a video and maybe a high quality video, like if I'm just talking into this camera, that's great. The thing is the editing, that is what yeah. um, I think is actually the real magic there. And it kind of reminds me when you write an article, you write a bunch of stuff over the course of a few weeks and then you edit the article together right. and that is your value as a writer. Right. I think the value as a video creator is editing it and making it nice and 100% tight. agree. So okay.
0: is that what your Alex guy does for you? 1000% that's oh. it, right? All the magic is in the editing. I don't, I don't think video quality is nearly as important as how it is edited. Mm. And I give my team full permission to edit me relentlessly. If I repeat myself, cut it. If I'm talking in circles, take the best clip and include that. I think all of the magic is in how it's edited. And you can make anything look good if it's edited really well.
1: Yeah, and, and one thing I notice is that even whenever we make a basic slideshow type video on YouTube, if I just add a couple, like, like if I say like, my name is Neville Medora and put a little underline under it when I say Neville Medora, that just keeps people more engaged on YouTube than if it just says Neville Medora and it's just yeah. text and it's just static and it's just kind of boring to look at.
0: Are you editing your own stuff? Um,
1: I'm currently editing this right now. Watch this. Boop 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 boop. Yeah, <laughs> I'm manually doing this. <laughs> that's commitment. Actually, we should we should switch to the auto switcher and see how it goes. So I'm. This
0: is now. This is hands free. The robot is totally editing. Um, so that's that's commitment, Neville. That you edit your own stuff. I I I get completely out of creation mode if I go into like having to edit myself. So could Well, to you. okay.
1: So I actually I edit most of my stuff. I have someone else who helps me with editing a lot. And actually most of my top videos are edited by someone else. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's what I, here's what I hate about it. I like editing. I like doing it. I like sitting there and doing it. I don't know why. It just reminds me of college. Like when I was like a computer science student for one year, (laughs) just sitting in a coffee shop at four in the morning by myself, programming with headphones on. It just reminds me of that. I enjoy it. I'm not good at it. It's just, I like it. Yeah, It's
0: weird. I get you.
1: Yeah. Okay. So let's say that you have a, uh, you have a company that you're talking, that you invest in, and they're going to do everything that you say. how would you tell them to get the word out about their product? Are you going to tell them to do Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, a podcast, paid ads? What do you usually tell them to do?
0: Funny, you should ask. So I'm going through this right now. So I just, I just, my, I have a, an investment fund that invests mostly in physical product brands. And we have one, one business. The business is called Keto Brownie, low carb snacks. Mm-hmm. Great company. Delicious. Yeah. They're, they're really good. Mm-hmm. And so we bought, we bought a significant amount of the company. And their biggest challenge is like everybody who buys from them becomes a raving fan, but they don't have a lot of exposure. Mm-hmm. So for me, I go to who do we partner with? Like I, most entrepreneurs will sit there and go like Where do I like How do I create What platform do I create on in order to get a lot of exposure? I say, Do you really want to be a content creator, or do you want to go back to creating great products? Mm-hmm. And all of them, especially when they're creating physical type stuff, they're like. I think I have to be putting out social content. I think I have to be creating blog posts. I think I have to be creating YouTube videos, not that I want to. And I say, okay, I don't want you to do anything that you hate doing because that takes you out of your genius, which is creating great products and selling them to your existing fan base. Mm -hmm. So why don't we go out to our network and see if we can find an audience, an influencer, someone who has a blog or an email list and give them points in the company for being the primary audience for the business. So... Aubrey Marcus did this, Joe Rogan, mm-hmm. right? This is this is how this is how Onnit got started. Mm-hmm. So Aubrey partnered with Joe. Joe talked about it on the podcast. It was a good move for both of them, mm-hmm. right? They both did extremely well. Now you hear Joe talk about Onnit all the time. Onnit grew because Joe Rogan grew. Beautiful partnership, perfect synergy between the audience and the product line. That was a beautiful partnership, and that's why Onnit became Onnit, and that's why Joe was able to charge such ridiculous fees for endorsements on his podcast. Like those two things grew together. And so I look for partnerships rather than strategies. So in this case with, with Keto Brownie, we're looking at a couple different, blog. there's one blogger and there's one Instagrammer with a big email list. Mm-hmm. And those are the two people that we're talking to as potential equity partners in that company. And I know that a few emails gets us enough kind of a, the, the snowball moving in order to be able to drive up sales. And create a, a bigger asset between the two of us. So uh, the, there's there's several companies that we're working on in the fund that do exactly that. We're we're we invest in the business and then we use our network to find the partner rather than the strategy. And I, and I'm agnostic as to where the audience is as long as it's influential rather than just famous.
1: All right, so that's that's actually a good move. Try to let the product people do the product thing and the influencer. That's people right. Who naturally like being in front of camera and all that's that. That's right.
0: Things. Like I don't want a product brand to start a podcast. I don't want them to go take their attention away from creating more products and now starting a YouTube channel. Yeah. There are some people who do both of those worlds, like Eric at Beardbrand, yeah. does this extremely well. And he, he did a great job at the content creation and he has a great physical product business. That's lightning in a bottle, but that's so rare. It's Most people do that because they think they have to because they're reading a bunch of blogs from marketers about where all the action is. Yeah. They're getting distracted <laughs> from their primary business, which is selling stuff to your customers. Like for example, like these these pants, these pants are from Public Rec. This is a like it got me with an Instagram ad, mm-hmm. right? If Public Rec sends me a po- like a podcast episode, I'm pissed that they emailed me. But if they just send me an email that's like, hey, we have new pants for sale. I'm like, awesome, click, buy, awesome. Which result do you want? You know, if you yeah, right. So now, like as, as, if you're the founder of Public Rec, don't start a podcast or a YouTube channel. I don't care. I just want to buy more from, I just want to buy more of the product that I want. And that's the case with most brands that I don't necessarily think should be going the content route. I think they should be partnering with the people who do. Have you been exposed to any of this like build in public stuff? I know on Twitter, it's kind of big.
1: It's not like a new concept necessarily, but it's like a lot of the younger generation, which I like, like some of these coder, non-coder tools, all that kind of stuff. They'll be like, I'm gonna build a company, but on Twitter. So this kind of reminded me of back in the day with like the personal finance blogs and stuff. We'd like be like, I'm yeah, gonna try sure. to get out of debt. And they just showcase along the way. Yeah. And so I've seen that happen and it's kind of like their marketing channel. Like they say, sure. we made 10K MRR, monthly recurring revenue off of this product. Here's what we did, blah, blah, blah. And people pay attention. And then people are like, oh, that's a cool product. I wanna buy that.
0: Absolutely. So I mean, that's that's the famous document instead of create process. Yeah. So, so I, I wrote a book called 12 Months to 1 Million. It's mm-hmm. about starting your first business and getting it to a million dollars in revenue. And the strategy that I recommend in order to what I call stack the deck, like have people waiting in line on launch day is to just document the whole development of the product. Mm-hmm. Talk about the conversations that you had with your manufacturers. Talk about why you went with green instead of purple. Talk about your interviews with the people who are beta testing your product. Talk about the first prototype that comes in that sucks and now you have to go back and recreate the entire thing and now you're two months behind schedule and you're you're freaking stressed about it. like talk about the time Times when you're placing the inventory order and it's gonna cost you 12 grand and you've only got 15 and that's your life savings and you're about to burn through it and you're freaking out and you're ner- Like that stuff is what builds raving fans. But the minute that person goes into teaching mode and starts trying to talk to the audience about why their product is great, no one cares. Mm. People are interested in stories and personal stories. So if if you are documenting the business development itself That's fascinating. That's the best content you can do, I think, as a new entrepreneur. Uh, But most people are trying to do the route of just of creating, creating new stuff. And it's it's just not helpful to the business.
1: That's really interesting. Um, Another thing I wanted to ask you about because you have so many different brands is SEO. What role does that play? Because I've noticed this huge tectonic shift lately in the landscape of SEO and social media. What gets more uh, there's podcast, videos, all that stuff. Which gets more attention? It used to be all like SEO was the gold standard. Yeah, now, yeah. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't really know.
0: I don't know. What, what's your opinion? I think SEO is a great long-term play for lead acquisition, specifically. I think it's a great way if you're, especially if you're a content-focused business. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to get long-term leads and front-end buyers, but it takes two to three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, full full disclosure: uh, I've I've burned through a couple content directors in the last few years, <laughs> so so uh, um, I I get it in theory. I guess we can say I'd love to hire an amazing SEO-focused content strategist or or content director email me ryan at capitalism.com like i would i'd love to hire somebody who loves the written word and really gets long form seo and long-term seo Um, and it's something we've put focus into in sprints it's something that we will will do for a while and that's just not a way to build a a real business but i i think it's a great long-term play if you love the written word and you're willing to go at it for two years
1: well, it also, it's like, if you have a good article, like one's YouTube strategy we did, we just took our top articles and made YouTube videos sure. out of all of them. Yeah, And then yeah. like, because the YouTube, vi- you put out a YouTube video, but it always gets consistent views because your article that's ranking well in SEO gets views. And so therefore your video gets more views. Right. And therefore your article gets more views and the virtuous cycle continues. Right. So it, there is some value in long form articles. I think there's a lot of value in them because you could turn them into other content.
0: You know, it's, it's funny you, you say that because we had something like that happen just two weeks ago, where one of our videos on YouTube started getting a ton of traffic and getting us a lot of, of YouTube subscribers. And it was a random one from a long time ago and we couldn't figure out why this one just popped. It was getting us all these subscribers and getting us really good CPMs and just popped up out of nowhere. And then I was doing some like backend research into where we were ranking on SEO and we popped up for this article. Like We ranked number one for Robert Kiyosaki Net Worth. Mm. like our net worth profile on capitalism.com and embedded in that article is this video Mm. that was, that was talking about like tax strategy from one of our events. And it was one of Robert Kiyosaki's advisors. So we just had it on there as a piece of content. And that was why the video is getting so many additional views and subscribers. So you're exactly right that, that like that co strategy, that co content strategy where you're using a long form piece to make a video and vice versa, is a really good way to dive deep into a topic. Now,
1: it, The last question I want to ask you was about personal brand. You have a pretty strong personal brand and you're kind of like a, you're a love him or hate him kind of guy. You're, you're not a, you're I? not a, huh? am I well okay I think you are very a open dick. to <laughs> no 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 I don't think you're a dick at all I actually think a lot of your answers are great I think you you're the type of guy that like you like to go up against like opinions that people have that are pretty strong that's so during true. the election you'll take all these poli- you'll I ask love me anything to talk political. about
0: politics and religion I yeah. love to talk about
1: see that. I'm just like I'm not changing anyone's mind I don't really care you go ahead I think, I can. Head I, think on.
0: I can change your mind I think I can change everybody's <laughs> mind
1: so so so. So, so with that, you, you kind of go against the grain of a lot of the personal branding stuff of not to ruffle, too many feathers, but is that, is that intentional
0: or is this just how you are? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I think, (laughs) I think the, the, the go-to strategy for building a personal brand is be your authentic self. Mm -hmm. Like "Ah, Neville, man, I spent so many years making content and like talking about the things that everybody else wanted me to talk about and those were some of my unhappiest years Mm -hmm. because i was creating for a result rather than creating for an experience Mm. the experience that i want is to have great conversations and to talk about me personally i want to talk about deep things and hard things and challenging things i want to question the normal i want to ask things that most people aren't willing to ask Mm -hmm. like i want to question assumptions i want to question my own assumptions like i want to see how deep i can go i want to see how much i can understand i i I want to go into the areas that i i am challenged to go like i mean neville i was going to school to be a pastor and i'm no longer (laughs) religious like that is a one eight like i was waiting until marriage and now i have two kids out of wedlock like, like I like I have done total 180s on multiple things in my life. And, and I don't think that's flip-flopping. I think that's growth. Mm. And I like to wrestle with something and then come back and challenge those who are still wrestling with it for both my own enjoyment and my own growth. Because I want to poke holes in my own argument and theirs. That's my genuine self. Like that is my genuine self. So my personal brand is like a philosopher disguised as a businessman. Business is one of the routes that I'm using for personal development and the exploration of this crazy experience of life. So I am not intentionally poking bears. Mm -hmm. I am genuinely on an exploration. And that means that I'm totally willing and love to have hard conversations about things that most people aren't willing to talk about.
1: Wow. That's it. That's actually a great explanation of it. And then, so, okay. So last question, I guess that was the last question, but
0: hold on. I want to, I want to flip it on you for a second. Cause you said, I've, I love some of your replies. What have you seen? Because like, we haven't interacted on social media much, so I don't know what you see. This is fascinating.
1: Yeah. You're, you're on Instagram a lot. I'm not on Instagram too much. Like I said, except to look at pictures of puppies (laughs) and food and maybe sometimes girls, but, um, (laughs) but, um, I see you, especially during the election, I'm not really into politics all that much. You know, I, I just don't care to hear about it. Yeah. Unless I can directly influence it or I'm going to really try to do something about it. I'm just like, okay, th- does does this really affect me that much? Like who the president is doesn't really affect you that much. Who your local city council person is, that affects you. Yeah, it I'm does. involved in yeah.
0: that. Right. But here, so here's the opposite of that though. What you think about the president says so much about you. So this this is why I love talking about about federal politics. First of all, I was I after I decided I didn't want to be on church at a on staff at a church somewhere, uh, I switched to economics. Economics was my chosen field, and of study anyway. And so I I love to look at things from an economics point of view, and that's a lot of what politics is. But I also love it from this personal side of what people think about politics says so much about everything else going on in their life like Mm -hmm. i love to ask people the question who are your top favorite presidents and who do you who do you, your bottom three Mm -hmm. and if you listen to what they say there's always a pattern and a story that says a lot about them i ask every person that i interview for a job who did you vote for in the last election Mm. i don't care what they say i'm listening to the story behind it i'm listening to the hesitancy or the fear in talking about it i'm watching to see if they're willing to have the conversation i'm i'm watching to see if they are open to having open-minded conversations with people that might disagree with them i don't care what they say Mm -hmm. i'm listening for the story behind all of that and that comes up so much and donald trump was just the best example of it ever Mm -hmm. because everyone brought this these projected opinions to this person and it was all across the board Scared people got more scared. Loud people got louder. Annoying people got more annoying. <laughs> like it, it it was just across the board and fascinating. And so when I'm talking politics, I think so little of it is about who the president is. And it is so much more about what the person's relationship to their beliefs about the world are.
1: Ooh, that's a that is actually a very fascinating take on it. I love it. So fun. I like it, but I don't follow you on Instagram all the time because of that. <laughs> I can't take it. I'm just like I just don't want to hear about it when I'm laying in
0: bed at nine in the morning. Well, scrolling. I mean, you, oh, so I'm now. I'm now. I'm just curious. Like, do you yeah. see me taking stands on things, or am I mostly asking questions?
1: No, I actually genuinely, and I'm not saying this to blow smoke up your ass, and that you're in here right now. I actually really like your uh, answers. So you would talk. I remember one particular fascinating thing I thought about was like early Bitcoin stuff you were talking about and that your, your views on that, and I thought your answers were very level-headed on it. And then the other thing was, um, oh, the whole socialism versus capitalism thing. Hmm. Obviously, you own capitalism.com. Yeah. I'm taking yeah. a wild guess which side you're on, yeah, right? Yeah, it's hard to guess. And it was very interesting to see the, the, the socialism side people come at you with questions, and you'd say, ask me anything you want. And they would ask like the standard questions and you would just systematically just, and, and I don't think you were mean about it at all, actually. You were very just like, well, and I was like, oh, that's a, that's a good answer. <laughs> I, I wish there was some silent way to applaud on Instagram without like getting involved.
0: Well, well, thank you. Yeah. So uh, I think my, if I had one superpower, it's that I'm able to hear what people are communicating rather than what they're saying. And, mm. and those two things Great are book. not necessarily correlated. Yeah. So, so what people are often communicating is an emotion and then what they're saying is logic. And if you can find the story between those two things, it says a lot about what they're really trying to communicate or be heard. So most of the people who advocate for socialism are just simply afraid. And all of us are afraid about something, right? So if you have the experience of being laid off, if you have the experience of not having enough food, if you have an experience of being put into an unfair situation, Mm -hmm. then this would be totally reasonable and rational to believe that someone should help me. Mm -hmm. Someone should help me and no one helped me and I'm angry that no one helped me. And it would be totally rational and reasonable for that person to then conclude, well, the people who have a lot are the reason that no one came to help me. They're greedy, they're selfish, and I am their victim. Mm-hmm. It would be, and, and that is, I'm not like victim shaming. I think there's a total reasonable and rational conclusion to come to. Mm-hmm. The question comes, what is the actual best way to help serve and alleviate suffering from that person? Mm-hmm. And if we think that that is then going to equally selfish politicians, well, then we have a lot of things to discuss in that assumption. But I think it is, it's is—it's actually rational to make broad assumptions about things based on our own fears and feelings. We just usually conclude them incorrectly. And so I like to go in and try and hear what is being communicated, but then address the root cause of what is being communicated. And that usually comes down to being on the side of freedom, the, the side that is pro expansion, the side that is pro individual, pro capitalism, pro business, pro individual, and usually we find a place in which we agree and it is that we should stay out of each other's lives and that we should be free.
1: So so this uh, this probably concludes the uh the, the content marketing part I think <laughs> we think we, can, were... we can go back if you want to go back. No no, that was all the questions I had on that. But but it is kind of interesting um recently just this whole COVID thing kind of accelerated a lot of stuff. The what thing? The whole COVID thing. Huh? What's. The- oh, yeah, e- exactly. And so, uh, yeah, definitely not monetized on this one for sure. No. <laughs> um,
0: but
1: but one, <laughs> I mean, one, one thing that does worry me a little bit, and I agree with what you say that like a lot of the people, like I, I observe from the background, like people who talk about socialism, Trump, whatever. It's just like, it's interesting to a degree. I just don't like getting involved in sure, it. I just yeah, don't of course. care like you of do. Of course. The, uh, the the other thing, though, is it seems like we are going down this path where, like, if during during all this pandemic stuff, if you owned uh, stocks, if you owned a house, if you owned all the shit rich people own, right, you probably did phenomenal. A lot of yeah, our friends right. in our little tech bubble did great during all that's this. That's right. And, and I do see that, like, even like house prices, like we were just discussing, they're just going up and up and up at this staggering rate yeah. that just cannot continue. Yeah. And it's just, it, it just, like, also just priced out to everyone almost. And it's scary. Yeah, like like it like I would be kind of pissed like if I didn't own something right now I'd just be like what what am I supposed to do like I have to live really really far now like I just can't afford this city anymore and I get it I saw I saw it happen in San Francisco and stuff but you're just like oh that's a tech hub there's a lot of jobs there that makes sense it's high in demand that's why it's priced high. But then you just kind of see this just like the rich just so run away so far ahead, not by fault of their own, but like, what do you see is kind of like, what's
0: going, what do you predict is going to happen since you're so involved in this? I've retired from predicting because I've been really wrong about a lot of predictions, mm-hmm. but it's thing. It's really easy to identify the cause. I mean, the cause of this is that you have a short-term demand for relief for those who are suffering, the desire to do better politically smart things and so you open up the coffers and you throw more money down the street like you throw more water down the street it has to flow into the river like when you have a flood and there's more water going through the streets and the city it eventually flows into the streams and the rivers and the ocean Mm -hmm. that's assets money always flows to assets that's what it's designed to do. Mm-hmm. Money is empty, it doesn't mean anything. It just is energy that goes into what is active.
1: Asset, you're talking about stocks, houses, yeah. land. Yeah.
0: I mean, at any, anything in which there is activity that other people desire. Mm-hmm. Stocks go up because they're businesses that people are choosing and there's activity there. Mm-hmm. Like that's energy flowing into that. So if you just pump the world full of energy, it ends up flowing to the exact same places long-term, or in this case, medium-term. And so all we've done is we've propped up the paper value of things, and it doesn't change how efficient they are or how productive they are. It's simply that we have now changed the prices because we put more money into the system. And so this isn't poor people's fault. It's politicians' fault. This is why there is an increasing gap between the rich and the poor. It's not because capitalism has failed. It's because our politics have prevented from capitalism from working. Mm -hmm. We have simply increased the money supply, which makes prices go up and it hurts the poor more than it helps the poor. It gives them a it's it's like a it's like a a heroin injection. It's like a temporary high and then a really, really long, painful process out of it. Mm-hmm. And if you just live on that, you eventually die. And which means that the system eventually dies. Now what that looks like, I think in our case, it's probably just replaced by something else. Replace. I mean, I was so wrong about cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. just so wrong about cryptocurrency.
1: Well, okay. Yeah.
0: Um, because I, I didn't think that it was backed in anything more legitimate than the US dollar is backed in. But now you're starting to see international adoption. And so you have some some brand to it that's better than you. Well,
1: stuff. I mean, I think a good thing is the smartest and richest people I know change their mind a lot. Like to a degree where they talk about ideas all the time. They never act on anything, and then when they do act, they're really right. But those are the smartest people I know. Yeah, I, so you, you change your mind, okay? Like I admire that. Yeah, I, well, I was
0: I was wrong about cryptocurrency, and I tell you that because I think there's a chance that that is one route that we could replace the current financial system. Yes. Um. So I don't know how this plays out. I don't. I don't know what system wins. But and and theoretically, we could just inflate forever. We could just continue to inf- inflate and prices go up, and we all become millionaires just because er- everyone, yeah. everyone
1: has a million yeah. dollars.
0: But it's worth the, the you know <laughs> cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's the right. Zimbabwe route. <laughs> yeah, and then and then eventually you just have to get a different system. Uh, but you now I'll, I'll tell you this: I used to be really afraid of this process. Like I used to be really afraid of. I mean, like, I've done the same thing of everybody else. I've like, calculated how much money I could be worth if I bought Bitcoin three years ago, mm-hmm. or even a year ago. Like, I, How much money did I miss out on by not doing that thing and not doing that thing? Mm-hmm. But all we have seen is just another example of, I like, got a highlighted stage of what it takes in order to be rich and to build wealth. You buy assets and that's it. Mm-hmm. And we are coming off of this period in which we don't save money anymore. We don't buy houses anymore. We live in high rises like here. Mm-hmm. I mean, like we, we don't do the, the, the old school ways of building wealth, but they still work. And we just saw it flip where now asset prices are popping and those who don't have assets are being left behind. And so the, the, the playbook is still the same, buy assets.
1: See that is my example of you saying something in a very level-headed, logical, understandable way. C- kudos, I enjoy that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that was a, that was a really good explanation. Cool. Um, okay, so uh, what do we what, what do we buy to get rich next? <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, tell me all your hard work and just lay it out to me so I can copy it. <laughs> well, you know, I did a I, I spoke at an event a few weeks ago in which I said, "Is anybody here?" Want to know what the next Bitcoin is? Yeah, everybody wants to know what the best Bitcoin is. I was like, would you like to know what the next Bitcoin is ahead of time? Yeah, I think everybody does. The next Bitcoin is always your own business. Like, always. That's one of those, like, lame answers. <laughs> <laughs> like, something your parents tell you. Well, <laughs> but but, but, but th- think about this for a second. Like, if if you knew... If you knew that Bitcoin was going to be at fifty thousand right now, and you had a time machine, you could go back in time. Wouldn't you go beg, borrow, and barter for every dollar to put in Bitcoin? Of course, of course you would, right? And and so most people don't do that with their own business. Like most people are betting on their businesses mostly staying flat, rather than betting on their businesses being at fifty thousand, right? Betting betting on their businesses going web. So they they bootstrap. They don't hire they are playing cash flow games instead of building long-term assets. Like I built, you know, 70% of my wealth is made from me building me and my partner building one business that we sold for a decent amount of money. Like the exit was what ended up being the the thing that that made us wealthy. And you know what happened after the exit, the private equity group ran it into the ground. It's absolutely like they were resource constrained they hired terrible people they stopped building an asset they went for short-term like and they and they ran it into the ground we were building something really long term and so it's just fascinating to me that people are not willing to play for the bitcoin of five years from now which they're in total control of is whatever business that they're doing that serves other people that creates value for customers.
1: I was hoping you were gonna reveal the next Bitcoin here. It's whatever, whatever you're sitting yeah. <laughs> on. <laughs>
0: whatever you are sitting on. I have actually, I have a video on my phone of my five-year-old, um, I was like, Esther, what should we buy? And she says, a Dogecoin. I said, why are we going to buy Dogecoin? Because it's going to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> How does your five-year-old know, uh, know altcoin meme? I run capitalism.com. Now, well, got to teach them early. That's
1: true. Well, know. you know, Esther is technically not incorrect because if about two weeks ago you had any Dogecoin, you would have been very uh, well set. You have at least seven cents by now at yeah. least. <laughs> awesome. Well, this is a very fun uh, and a little bit off script uh, interview, <laughs> but I enjoyed this. I like this a lot. Yeah. Ryan, I Daniel like Moran, too. thanks uh, for coming. How can people find you?
0: Um, I'm trying to think of a crypto reference right there. would be funny and sarcastic at the end, but um, I'll uh, edit it in. It'll be like, hashtag, whatever. So <laughs> like, <dummy. laughs> I, I mean, my, my podcast is capitalism.com. Mm-hmm. My YouTube channel is my name, Ryan Moran. And I'm Ryan Daniel Moran on Instagram.
1: Excellent. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for having me, man. Take care.